This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. Great to have your company again for LifeWords Q&A with David Ray, Andrew Morris. It's uh, our time together where we get to explore questions that you've submitted that um, I guess you've been dealing with, struggling with, and um, perhaps want an answer. And uh, it's looking at how life intersects with our faith and the Bible. And David, awesome to have you uh, on on the show again. Thanks, Andrew. Good to be here. Okay, so ahead of us, David, we've got three questions that listeners have submitted. Uh, First, we're going to be looking at uh, Christian political parties and should we give Christians uh, a vote. Uh, Also looking at, uh, you know, uh, when Jesus says those that aren't... uh, for him are against him. Uh, and then the last one, um, church musicians and dress. But let's get on to the first question, David. I realize there's Christian political parties around the place. Should Christians give them their vote? Well, if they want to, I suppose so. But I, I think the important principle there is, Andrew, that Christians should feel free to vote for any party that they believe embraces policies and actions that are not inconsistent with the kingdom or rule of God. I think it's a bit hard to find any political party that actually advances the kingdom or rule of God in a direct way, even so-called Christian political parties, because we're living in an imperfect world and so on. Um, but uh, I, I think Christians should look around and think, now, which which party best um, or comes closest to what I would consider to be biblical values which reflect the kingdom or rule of God. And so because of the fact that Christians are different and very diverse people and political parties vary, um, you'll find Christians voting for um, different parties. I mean, some Christians have said to me that uh, how can you possibly vote for a conservative party and others, how can you possibly vote for a left-wing party? Well, um, uh, Christians are free to uh, vote... um, in a way that they feel best reflects the kingdom or rule of God. Um, but sadly, I've got to say, and I might be being a bit cynical here, but I think some Christians are just like many other people. They vote out of self-interest. I've received emails from Christians who say, I couldn't vote for such and such a party because it threatens my life savings or something. Well, um, that, might, that might be a valid concern, but I don't think we should vote just out of self-interest. It's important to check um, motivation in voting. So, um, if we look at the, the what Jesus uh, talks about, he says, uh, I, I give you a new commandment to love one another mm-hmm. and to love, I guess, your neighbor as you love yourself. So, would that be, and also we see, you know, um, that God values justice and mercy. Mm-hmm. Would they be three values that would be key as Christians? Oh, absolutely. I mean, any Christian who is not going to the voting box, the ballot box, not thinking of love, justice and mercy has got a problem. I think you should go to the ballot box thinking, what, 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 how will my vote best advance those core values of love, justice and mercy, which are kingdom values? The problem comes that Christians will sometimes come up with a different conclusion. Some Christians will think, no, love, justice and mercy is is best expressed if we, and I'm being a bit crudely simplistic here, if we free big business to be more profitable so that the benefits are spread around. Others say, oh, no, um, love, justice and mercy demands that I vote for the party which will allocate more in the budget for hospitals or schools. Now, I'm not even criticising either of those. I'm just simply saying that 
when we talk about the basic principles of love, justice and mercy, which, which are good principles, um, we're still left with um, a, 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 the issue of who we vote for because no, I, I would put it bluntly, that no one political party, Christian or otherwise, perfectly reflects those values. So pr- pretty much you have, you're going to have to make a compromise when you make a vote. Indeed. So it's how you deal with the fact that you're having to compromise. So there's an author, Sh- Shane Claiborne, who would say uh, you might vote for the least worst party, if you like, and but then you'll go, okay, well, I don't agree with certain things, but I will protest, I'll get actively involved in uh, co- communicating and talking with my local member and saying, hey... These other policies that you have um, yes. put in practice, I don't agree with for these reasons. I want you to consider changing sure, them. Sure, sure. You, you're always, I think, Claiborne's onto something there. You're always voting for someone least worse sort of thing. Um, and and, and it, it raises or implies another uh, issue, a very important issue here. To what extent do you um, vote for a particular party or not vote for a particular party on the basis of certain key issues? What issue do you put at the top. For example, I know of many Christians in the United States who have voted a certain way uh, because of their uh, idea of abortion on demand. Now, I'm not criticising them. I'm just simply saying their their view of abortion, and I'll vote for any candidate that's against abortion, even though they are espousing other uh, policies that I would not endorse. So I think that's uh, reflecting what you're saying, that sometimes, sadly, you have to vote for someone because they will um, reflect your thinking on what you consider to be a very core issue, but uh, not another issue. For, for example, you might say, well, on the abortion issue, and I don't really want to get into the complexities of that, but but on the abortion issue, yes, I will give my vote to someone who is against abortion. Fine, I, I can understand that. But then again, at the same time, you might be giving your vote to someone who does not respect human life in, 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 in other respects. So, so it's, it's a dilemma, and I don't pretend that we have an easy answer to it. But what I would protest against is this feeling that I must vote for a so-called Christian party. I'm not against Christian political parties at all. Good, good on Christians for getting involved in politics. But, you see, the issue is I might not always agree with a Christian political party's policies. Um, I might want to vote for them because I think they better reflect God's values than other, other than other parties. But then other factors come into play. Um, do I vote for them or do I vote for a party that's actually going to be able to put more policies into practice? Mm-hmm. And there's another little complexity here that comes up, that comes to mind, is that sometimes, and I've known this myself, that I have had local members of where I've lived who are fine, honourable men and women, but who represent a party that I might not support. So there's that little dilemma as well. Do I vote for a political individual who is representing me and my constituency or do I vote for the wider um, party? So I guess the the one, uh, before we leave this issue, would you have an opinion on whether uh, self-interest is legitimate or should we vote with the common good for for our neighbour, thinking about our neighbour or voting for someone else? as the key priority. So thinking about other people's needs as well as our own, but but just not completely self-interest. Oh, look, I think I think we've already sort of answered that. I think yeah. when we talk about love, justice and mercy being the basic prerequisites, uh, I think it's it's that that to me is the one thing non-negotiable that you go to the ballot blocks ballot box not just thinking about yourself. Now, of course, there is 
some degree of self-interest there, of course. Um, if I've got a if I've got a, a disabled child, I might vote for a political party that that is going to offer more support for my disabled child, and so on. But but if we're just simply voting in order to put more money in our pockets. Um, or what narrowly serves me, even though if what narrowly serves me might disadvantage the poor, and remember Jesus is saying always be biased towards the poor, then I think self-interest is a menace. And I think Christians have got to think long and hard when they go to the ballot box, am I simply um, voting out of a self-interest but dressing it up in sort of Christian language, uh, or am I voting uh, for something that's going to do good to others? And the other thing is, um, am I going to vote uh, in the sense of, of, of um, uh, looking at the big picture or just some single issue? You're listening to LifeWords Q&A. David Ray, Andrew Morris. Uh, if you would like to send David a question, the email address is lifewords at hopemedia au. You can subscribe to LifeWords Q&A if this is the first episode. We actually, uh, you can subscribe on iTunes or you can go to hope1032.com.au. David, our second question is, Jesus says somewhere that those who aren't against us are for us. Can you explain what he might mean? Yeah, I think in order to explain that, I think you've got to understand the context. And Jesus said that when he saw, um, uh, when his disciples saw some others whom they didn't know casting out demons in Jesus' name. And so they said to Jesus, hey, uh, we don't know these guys, and yet they're casting out demons. Um, stop them. You know, they're not one of us. And so Jesus says, hey, um, they're doing God's work. And even if we don't know them or they don't positively publicly identify with us then um, why bother because if they're doing God's work they're doing God's work now I think what he's touching on there is what we might call or I would call tribalism and I think it's a big issue in our church and I think that's that this saying of Jesus is very relevant for us because you see many tend to think that our group or Christian tradition or church are the ones who actually do the work of Jesus or are certainly doing it better than others um, and so on But the the truth, I think, that comes out in this saying is that anyone who has a truly personal relationship with God is able to be an instrument of God. And so why should we think that just because they don't belong to our church or our tradition that they're not doing the work of God? You see, a a Baptist need not fear if his newly converted neighbour joins a big Pentecostal church. An Anglican evangelical need not fear if one of their number has a Roman Catholic spiritual director. Um, A Pentecostal mother need not be concerned if a daughter goes to the local Presbyterians. I, I mean, they can all do God's work. Now, we might have our own personal preferences. Of course, I've got my own personal preferences. I would prefer to be in one church tradition than another church tradition. But that doesn't mean that other churches are not doing great work. When I lead our own church service in my own church, one of the things I try to do is to always pray for other churches that are meeting in our area. I think it's it's, it's acknowledging that God welcomes diversity. And I think this sort of tribalism that the disciples were expressing here in this context um, at least a smug superiority and even bigotry Um, you know I might believe that a certain church tradition best fits Christian life and faith for me but other Christians might think differently I'm amazed that some Christians find some churches and some traditions and some belief um, patterns and and so on so helpful to them when I shake my head and think 
But that that doesn't relate to me at all. Yeah. But that's God's diversity. So, um, you know, so so let's not think that we have got all the answers and that we are better than others. Um, instead of looking at another church or church tradition and saying they don't preach the gospel, simply say they seem to preach the gospel in a different way, and that's okay. God doesn't seem to be too concerned that we are different. God does not favour one particular tribe. He's not saying to any particular group within the church, um, you've got the real truth and the others are sort of still trying to catch up. Uh, the point is that God's church, you know, no one branch of God's church has all the truth. And um, so I think we've got to get rid of tribalism, which tends to divide us and tends to make us superior. Uh, and I think that's what Jesus is touching on here. These other disciples who were casting out demons, Jesus says, well, you know, they're casting out demons. Nothing wrong with that. Yep. <laughs> Thanks, David. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A, our final question, David. And uh, this is relevant. I'm on a worship team. Some of our church musicians are upset because the pastor and other leaders have asked them to dress a certain way rather than the way they do. What sort of dress standards are appropriate? Well, first of all, Andrew, I, I feel assured that your dress standards are perfectly appropriate. Oh, suit and tie uh, always, David. <laughs> Not. Exactly. Look, it does stir up a hornet's nest, and I, I, I have um, been part of that hornet's nest in one church. Uh, because, you see, one person may feel a form of dress is fine, or another may feel it's disrespectful. Um, it's no, no surprise to say that younger people in general have a different sort of dress standard and may query why older people's standards are always preferable. Um, if there's one, this is sort of a weaselly way out of it, I suppose, a dress suitably for the occasion, I suppose. Um, you see, a beach service on a beach mission requires casual summer clothes, not suit and tie. Um, bare feet are fine, as is windblown hair at such times. But a service in an aged care place... Well, that requires a different dress standard. So when I am leading my church services and so on, I will dress one way in one congregation and another way in another congregation simply because um, I, I want to respect who those people are. The underlying issue, I think, is this. Does my dress or appearance detract from what I am trying to do? Does my dress draw attention to myself? So, for example, leading a youth service dressed up in a, a formal collar and tie, that's distracting. Um, but it might not be distracting if you're um, conducting an RSL um, church service yep. on, on, on Anzac Day, for example. Um, are the people I'm trying to reach being put off by how I dress? See, if I'm taken to task by an older person for being too casual at a youth service, I might say, well, hang on, uh, this is a context in which I'm leading. I'm not trying to reach you. I'm trying to reach another group of people. Of course, some older people feel that certain things are out of line no matter what the context you know, wearing a baseball cap in church. It's funny, when you uh, have attended a more casual church for, for, for many years, you forget that uh, maybe more traditional churches are a bit more um, conservative in their yes. dress. So, so yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's very much having that kind of empathy for the people that you're serving. Well, well indeed, and, and not being judgmental. At the same time, I mean, yes, I suppose you could argue that there should be a minimal dress standard, um, in church, uh, even even casual, uh, I think there can be such a thing as being too casual. But then again, that's even as I say that, that's such a subjective thing. I might yep. think I might look at a worship leader leading a, a service with bare feet and think, oh, 
that's not right. But then I think, well, hang on, what, 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 on what grounds am I saying that? Um, who, who knows? Again, the key, does such a dress show disrespect to God or others? Uh, and I, I think if that person is, is wearing dress that they feel is appropriate and not simply trying to make some silly um, exhibitionist statement, I, I think we've got to be fairly tolerant. But just one thing, um, many years ago I was involved in a church where uh, there was concern about the dress standards of females in our music group. And um, the thing that I was very adamant on there was only a female in our church was going to adjudicate on that, that I as a male was not going to adjudicate. Well, yeah, and in a classic, it happened in the Parliament the, um, last yes, year. Yes, we we had um, uh, one of the people who uh, assists the parliamentarians uh, bring to attention one of the female uh, parliamentarians, the fact that she had a sleeveless top on. Yes, yes that's right. And no one had a problem with it. It, it, it was a very traditional yes. old law. And it's, again, in in the church today, it's like, I guess, it's how you view God as well, isn't it, David? If you see God yes. as maybe an old stickler um, mm, mm, who's ready mm, to wipe you out mm, at any moment, mm. then you'll have a different idea of dress. You will. I, I mean, in my day, I mean, in, in my day when I was growing up as a child, no woman would come to church without a hat on um, yeah. because that was seen, that was the standard cultural sign of respect. Yeah. Now, now, that's changed now, but... For example, I would not fault a woman or a man for that case saying wearing a hat in church is my way of showing respect to God. Well, well, that's, that's fine. Um, I, I just feel that we've got to be dressing sensitively and not sort of younger people who are much more casual, not saying, well, you know, I don't care how I yeah. dress. Who, who got, I know of one chaplain in an aged care place who, whose ministry was rather hindered by the fact that he was so utterly casual in his dress. And he would say, oh, look, I'm a nice guy and I'm doing the work of God. Well, no, you were, yes, you were doing the work of God, but you were, you were, creating just that little stumbling block to people. So so let's dress so that our ministry to people uh, will will serve the gospel rather than hinder it, and that will mean there'll be different dress standards at different times. But I reckon, in the end, if your heart is directed towards serving God and loving others, you'll find a way around that. Thanks, David. Great. That was uh, three uh, chunky topics, and uh, we'll have more next week on LifeWords Q&A. In the meantime, if you want to re-listen to our previous previous episodes, there is a stack at hope1032.com.au. Just search for LifeWords Q&A. Otherwise, go to iTunes, and you'll find them on the iTunes, uh, on the iTunes podcast store. In the meantime, uh, have a great week, and we'll be back next week with three more of your questions here on LifeWords Q&A. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.